there's a lot of drama surrounding the future of a big-name UFA. As for one of the oldest rookies in this year's RFA class, a lot of drama surrounds his NHL future. Plus, we have a few coaching hirings to break down and a pair of thrilling Final Four series to react to. Episode 274 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Our biggest headline is Doozy Brett. And uh, for the Minnesota Wild fans, hopefully it gets resolved quickly and with a positive outcome. Uh, what are the odds that Kirill Kaprizov heads back to Russia? Yeah, this, uh, this has led the the NHL Newswire for, uh, since it came out um, on uh, two days ago, so Friday. Um, yeah, so there's there's a, been a report by Kevin Weeks, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, and he says, I am repeating what he said in this tweet, although it looks like he may have got rid of it, I don't know. But he says, as of now, talks with likely Rookie of the Year Kaprizov and Minnesota Wild have gone cold. My understanding is he's in Moscow and it's believed Siska, his uh, KHL team, is interested in signing him for KHL and Olympics. Um, and uh, so so it's interesting, when I was searching for this tweet, uh, Kevin Weeks and Kirill Kaprizov have the same agent, Paul Theophanos. Um, and um, and yeah, you'll you'll mention that before on uh, like um, the other guys that uh, this uh, Theophanos has uh, represented before. Uh, but like when I was searching, there was a lot of uh, people who were uh, trying to um, who were like so like wild fans basically saying like what like what does Kevin Weeks know or anything like that. Um, and that's also in exchange for Michael Russo, who's like the wild beat writer for The Athletic. He says that um, Kaprizov is at a buddy's wedding in Moscow. His agent gave the team a heads up. Um, as for the CSCOM rumors, that's his only option besides signing with the wild and they'll offer him a ton of money. So expect those rumors as long as he's unsigned here. Um, and then he goes on to say, as far as negotiations with the wild, Kaprizov wants short-term so far. Wilds offered him long-term, so as I've reported. This is going to be a tough negotiation. Again, the Russia option is the only option, so that'll be the leverage as long as he's unsigned. Which is, like, kind of what I figured was the case, because when, when I first heard this news, I was like, well, yeah, he's a restricted free agent, and he's probably going to get what, like, he's probably going to get the most money out of any restricted free agent out there right now because he's probably the high, the most uh, sought after re restricted free agent out there right now, but um, but yeah, I felt like it, it didn't necessarily make a ton of sense why he would only go to the NHL for one year um, and all that stuff. I mean, 
if if that is his choice that he decides to go back to the KHL, it's kind of a shame, obvious for obvious reasons. He's a hell of a talent and stuff, and it's it's kind of sad too because this season was a weird year where fans weren't allowed to play. So it's like you you get Kaprizov, who is he's worth the hype, and then you get him for one year, and then all of a sudden, and you don't even get to see him in person. Um, and, you know, he brings the Wild to a playoff spot, and, you know, you have a lot of other, like, young prospects and Marco Rossi and Matt Boldy and Kalen Addison, um, and, you know, even Capo Kakinen, who's played a little bit this year, and, um, and then that could all fall by the wayside because Kaprizov, um, isn't, like, you know, just decides to go back because he misses his home, uh, too much. Or something like that. So um, it's a little bit sad if, if that happens, but I have a feeling it's it's just a negotiation tactic. Um, yeah. So so what do you, what else do you have on on this news or speculation? Yes, yeah, so there are a lot of layers to this, um, as one might uh, gather. Although the fact that the NHL is taking part in the Olympics, I don't know why the Olympics would be a sweetener for right. the KHL team. I'm, I'm pretty sure Kaprizov would be going to the Olympics regardless. Of course, I could be, right. I could be wrong, but um, a little uh, bit of a track record on Paul Theofanis, the uh, agent for Kaprizov and the guy that Kevin Weeks knows uh, from his hockey playing days he, if you look at his catalog of NHL players that he represents today, there's not a lot of big-name players. There's not too many players, period, compared to the likes of J.P. Barry, who is the agent of Dougie Hamilton. We'll talk about him later on. But over the past couple of off-seasons, Theo Fanos's, um clients have really struck it rich in 2018 Semyon, or no, 2019, sorry, excuse me, Semyon Varlamov, goaltender, signed with the New York Islanders for $5 million per year over four years, so that's a total of $20 million. Theofanos was his agent during that time. 2019, everyone was talking about Bobrovsky and Panarin and where they were going to go, the agent for both of them, Paul Theofanos. And both of them got paid. Panarin got his mega seven-year deal with the Rangers, giving him... 11.642 million per season, roughly that. Um, so you tally that up over seven years, and that's quite a lot of cash going into Panarin's bank account. And Bobrovsky, of course, everyone talks about it because of how bad it looks now, right. but he signed a seven-year deal with the Florida Panthers at 10 million per season and became one of the highest paid goalies in the league. So... I think it could be a bit of a negotiation tactic. Again, I don't know for sure if Kevin Weeks is getting these sources from Theofanos himself or if he's getting them from another reliable source, but it that the connection there yeah. is a little bit interesting. Um, you mentioned the tweets uh, with, with uh, Michael Russo there. I'm sure money is going to be a factor in these talks. Um, I as you mentioned, Kirill's looking for more short-term the Wild want a longer-term solution, and obviously so, because right. I would think Kirill Kaprizov is only going to get better from here. But uh, Michael Russo, in a recent article, also alluded to another factor that could play into Kaprizov's decision to kind of wait and see with Minnesota, and that's uh, Minnesota's options down the middle. Um, 
So Michael Russo goes on to explain in a recent article that he doesn't get the feeling Kirill's going to be willing to commit to a team with no prior allegiances or ties under these circumstances. And these circumstances could change if Bill Guerin, the Minnesota GM, is willing to show Kaprizov a clear plan to upgrade their center ice position. And if he begins to execute the plan, hey, even better. Uh, but if you look at the options that Minnesota has to run with right now, Kirill Kaprizov has played with the likes of Victor Rask, Joel Erickson Eck, Ryan Hartman, and Nick Bugstadt. If you look at the five-on-five minutes this season, he spent 409 minutes with Victor Rask, 113 minutes with Hartman, 101 minutes with Erickson Eck, and 89 minutes with Nick Bugstadt. Now, it should be noted Erickson Eck had a good season, probably his best one yet, and the ceiling is probably going to get a little bit higher, and he should be a very serviceable player for them. And he even finished fourth in Selkie voting, so good for him on that front, too. And if you look at also the Corsi numbers, they look pretty good with Joel Erickson Eck as well. But Joel Erickson Eck, as I mentioned, isn't the guy that Kaprizov played the most with. It was with Victor Rask. And you look at the Corsi numbers with Victor Rask, yeah. not good. Not good. Pro- probably uh, the worst out of the the amount of Corsi that uh, I was able to glance uh, glance through. And mind you, of course, it's it's tougher to say that because with all of the other Corsi numbers, you know, it's with guys playing less minutes than we spent with Victor Rask. I think the other three guys put together, I don't know if they equal the same amount of five, on my, five minutes as Kaprizov had with Victor Rask. But still, it doesn't take away from the fact you look at Victor Rask's numbers over the past few years and the fact that Minnesota got absolutely fleeced by Carolina in that trade and they gave up Nita, Nita Ryder in that deal. It was almost an instant regret within the first couple of weeks of that trade being completed. And that is the guy you put Kaprizov with? Like, it, he's, he's right. It, it can't be like that forever. He's not going to sign long-term for that. So now it comes down to, okay, well, if we find a way to keep Kaprizov in the fold, if we find a way to sign him, now we got to show him that we're actually serious about upgrading down the middle. Mm-hmm. But we need cap space to do that. Oh, but we, we have a little bit of cap space to work with. Oh, we have to sign Eric Sinek. Oh, we also right. have to sign Greenway. Oh, we also signed Jonas Brodin and uh, Jared Spurgeon, our current captain, to long-term contracts as well. Um, okay, so who are we going to get rid of? Uh, yeah, Victor Rask. Oh, who's going to want him? Uh, maybe Zach Parise. Oh, who's going to want him? Ryan Sears is a serviceable guy, but his contract's uh, still got a lot of term and dollars attached to it. So that that's where Minnesota runs into problems now is in order to address the position down the middle, they're going to have to move some big contracts. And some of the contracts they have, I don't think are really tradable right now. But either way, they're going to have to find a way to make it work. I think Parise is probably gone somehow. And I think Matt Dumba, who had a good year and I think deserves to still be on Minnesota, I think he might get traded anyway just because they could get a lot of value for him and – it's money coming off the books that they need to address 
their situation down the middle. So that's why I think Dumba is probably going to be trade bait again. But either way, one of Suter or Parise or Rask or, or maybe two of them are going to have to come off the books because signing Kaprizov alone and signing Erickson Eck and Greenway, that's, that's going to cost a lot. So you need to, to make sure you put your finances in the right areas. And right now, um, they're really lacking down the middle. And uh, I, it, it's either they don't address it in Kaprizov leaves, potentially, or they address it, sign Kaprizov, and, and make some moves to make that happen. So yeah. it, it, either way, it puts Bill Guerin in a tough spot, and it could honestly derail his offseason plans. Like, this this whole situation could change how he plans out his summer, how the okay. team improves in different areas. You didn't even mention that Kevin Fiala is also an RFA. So Oh, yeah, yeah. forgot. Yeah, they might want to keep him too, yeah. So, so yeah, all yeah. the more reason. And as good as Joel Erickson Eck has been – um, you know, I think Kevin Fiala has been proven that he's been good for longer, whereas like yep. Erickson Eck has only had one year where he's been pretty good, and of course Kaprizov is there too, and he's only had one year, but Kevin Fiala is kind of important to their rebuild as well. Um, for sure. And uh, yeah, and and like and as you were talking about Victor Rask, the things that got in my mind while you were talking is like, yeah, Victor Rask had like. A pretty good year, but I think a lot of that could be due to the fact that Kaprizov was on his line for the most part. Yeah, a lot of it yeah. probably has to do with it. Because so, look at the numbers yeah. before Kaprizov got here. Yeah, yeah. And like I mentioned before, um, you know, I think the the thing that's most interesting for the Wild is that they do have like you know, obviously they have Kaprizov and Kakunin, um up, you know, in the this in the on the pro roster right now but um just from like um like teams like players that like their prospect pool is is pretty legit too because you have marco rossi matthew boldy you also have adam beckman um alexander kovanov has also is also on this list here uh kaylin addison's another one so um so those guys could be coming in soon so yeah you're right that in the temporary short term right now it's a little bit um you you know bill garen's gonna have to do some work and and fix some stuff up um to make it work but at the same time they have a lot to look forward to in the future um and i would guess this is just a lot of posturing from kaprizov's agent um just knowing that Kevin Weeks and uh, Kaprizov have the same agent, so that's probably why. Um, like once, like you, you just told me this before this happened. I was just like, oh, okay, so this is this is more evidence that he's just they're just trying to get the Wild to pay up to to keep Kaprizov. Um, when when we'll see how it goes and all that stuff. I also feel it's it's kind of a risky play because it's a play that could blow up in the face of both parties mm-hmm. where, like, a GM actually doesn't bluff and is just like, fine, if you're that serious, then leave. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, like yeah. there, I get, like, that Kaprizov's good and he makes the wild better, and there's no question about it. They love to have him on this team for years and years and years, but one player doesn't make a team. True, although... Stanley Cup winners in the past have proven that, but 
I, 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 it would just look so bad on Minnesota yeah, again I, to I, have I, such a talented player just leave after one year. Well, yeah. A player that literally changed how people look at this team. They well, don't look like a boring team anymore. He's a dynamic yeah. player that's that's made everyone around him yeah. better and just seems to only get better as the season yeah, yeah. goes on. And what strikes me about him as well is down the stretch in the final 15 to 20 games, playing like an MVP player, scoring goals in big moments. The pressure doesn't phase this kid at all. So it was interesting. When you said the first part, I was just like, uh, like I was just thinking like, well, wait a second. Like, you know, Kaprizov has like changed the Minnesota Wild rebuild and the franchise forever. So you can't let him go. And then you just said all that stuff. And I was just like, okay. So you, you yeah, just Yeah, well, I, my I mind mean, there's like, a, there's like a certain limit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, like, it, was, it was just funny. If he asked for $10 million, uh, I don't know if I give him $10 million. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. I I feel like, yeah, I I think I, I might actually. I don't know. Because I... I, I don't think I could ever justify to the fans. I mean, I know that the like it's not like the fans are Bill Guerin's boss or anything, but I, I don't think I could ever justify doing that, like not giving Kaprizov what he wants um, because because of everything we just said is that he changed the franchise even in one year that's very bizarre. So um, I feel like you have to do, you have to pay up. Um, anyways, uh, let's go to another sticky situation, uh, to another team, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, it was kind of interesting too, cause we, we just did their obituary last week. Um, and we, uh, the good news uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes is that, uh, Rob Brindamore, he's, uh, he's signed his extension. He has a three year deal now. Um, and, and that was good, and that's something that they can take care of. Of course, that's not involved in the cap hit or, or anything like that. So um, it's good to have him in the fold, regardless of what happens to this team. Um, the other news was that, uh, according to Elliot Friedman, uh, Carolina has given Dougie Hamilton permission to talk to other NHL teams, um, and it opens the possibility for a sign-and-trade um, the other things this does, according to Freeman, is it allows Hamilton to see if the Hurricanes do make the best offer for him, potentially allowing for a return if he doesn't like what he sees out there. Very um, interesting maneuver, which is funny that uh, Elliot Freeman uh, wrote this because he spelled maneuver way poorly than actually how you spell the name. Um, very interesting maneuver by team and player. Um, so yeah, I, I think we we said in our obituary before um, that you know that Carolina needs to sign Rob Brindamore, which he, which they did. He they also need to sign um, Alexander Sveshnikov. They need to sign Dougie Hamilton, and they need to sign Alex Ndalkovich. Those are your big four that you need to sign. So they already have one underway. Uh, this news that Dougie Hamilton might go is is kind of interesting to me because, uh, yes, he's a very good defenseman, um, and he's this is his third team. Uh, he uh, he was sent off um, 
in 2015 from the Bruins to uh, Calgary, um, supposedly because he just didn't get along with a bunch of his teammates. Who knows if that's true? I think there's also a report that like Boston refused to sign Dougie Hamilton's brother or something, which I never actually bought because that didn't, you know, that that seems a little strange. Um, and uh, and he didn't like that, and maybe there was just he just never got along in the clubhouse, which could be true. Um, but so, anyways, he like signed the same amount that Calgary uh, that the Bruins offered in Calgary. So that was just a sign that he just didn't like it there. Whatever, fine. Um, then he goes to Calgary, and then a, like a year later, he goes. To, uh, he gets traded to Carolina. Uh, supposedly, uh, this is the crazier reason to make a trade is because uh, Calgary didn't like that Dougie Hamilton goes to museums a lot, um, which is probably the strangest thing ever because he's clearly a very talented player, um, and um, and he goes to museums. Who cares? Um, yeah, so, I find it kind of funny. It's yeah. just like, hey, you guys go to the pub too much. Yeah. I'm just like, this guy goes to a museum. We need to trade him. That, like, you give up with that. That makes me think that, like, that reminds me a lot of, like, the Phil Kessel. He eats too many hot dogs or something like that. Like, that that was the reason why he was traded or something. It just, it reeks with something. Like, there's something else that, that was the reason for Dougie Hamilton not going to Calgary uh, to, like, like there was something else that they're just not saying on why he uh, he let um, he was traded in Calgary. But anyways, he goes to Carolina and he's uh, like you know he was good in Calgary and, and in Boston, but um, he was like very very good in Carolina, like breakout years, um, particularly um, in the 2019-2020 season. Uh, when he had 40 points in 47 games, um, and he um, he actually got injured halfway through, which was kind of a shame because he was playing so well at his best hockey. Uh, this year, um, he had 42 points in 55 games, um, which is still obviously pretty good. So he's going to draw a bargain if he does go somewhere else. Um, I could see the appeal to Dougie Hamilton, given my brief history of of his uh career so far is that like i could see the appeal to like the fact that he has been traded twice because of quote-unquote personality conflicts um and i could see him trying to test the free agency waters because a um he can see like you know he's going to be offered a lot of money because right away he's the most sought after defenseman um, right now, even more than Seth Jones. Um, I mean, I know Seth Jones is in a slightly different situation, but um, but yeah, I think there is. Um, he's the most sought after defenseman, so he's going to get a lot of money, and he can find a team that actually wants him, and he can also test out if there's a culture fit there that wasn't there in Boston or in Calgary. However. It does seem like he gets along with everyone in Carolina. So um, so this is just an interesting move from Carolina's standpoint because you would think that they would want to lock him up. Um, and, and it, you know, it seems like, you know, it seems like he, they've embraced him and they really love him. 
However, Carolina also has Jacob Slavin, who's pretty good, uh, Jake Garner, Brett Pesci, uh, Jake Bean, who's in the mix now. Um, so it's like, you know, especially Jacob Slavin and Jake Bean, um, those guys, and, and I guess Brady Shea is another one. Like, those guys are, um, they, you know, Carolina could afford to lose Dougie Hamilton if they keep it with those core. However, like, Dougie Hamilton does bring the Carolina Hurricanes, like, to another level. Um, and I don't know if they can win a Stanley Cup without someone like a Dougie Hamilton in the back end. Um, like, unless they have a plan where they can find another defenseman who's going to uh, fulfill what Dougie Hamilton brings... I don't know if there, it, it makes sense to trade him um, or not sign him. Um, but, you know, maybe there is something to the fact that his personality is an issue and he just doesn't get along with people. But it feels like he gets along with everyone um, in Carolina. So I don't know. It's just, uh, it's a, it feels like a strange situation. Well, it's a strange situation because we haven't really seen it before. Right. Um, like a, a team with an unrestricted free agent of Dougie Hamilton's caliber, just like, yeah, we'll give you permission to talk right. to other teams. It's a few almost weeks like, a, it's almost like, yeah, like, like, you know, they're, they're being a little bit arrogant about it too. It's just like, yeah, like you, you can look at other teams. It's fine. And then like, they know that deep down it's going to like, they're just going to sign them. Um, yeah, they they yeah. just feel so confident that right, right. that he's it's just like, gonna come crawling yeah. back and he'll just say, I guess, just give him a blank check. What do you want? Right. I guess the closest comparison is with the Carolina Hurricanes with uh, when uh, Montreal offer sheeted uh, Sebastian Ajo and Carolina just like just signed him like right away. Um, so so that, that's another one where it's just like, oh yeah, well, of course we're gonna sign Sebastian Ajo. Yeah. Well. Except if they don't, then they get compensation. You're, they're not guaranteed to get compensation. Like, what's stopping from a team just waiting to July twenty right. eighth well, and sign him, and Carolina getting, gets nothing at all? Yeah, you're right. I mean that that was a uh, oh oh you mean in Dougie Hamilton's case? Yeah, for okay. this case, which yeah, is yeah. why it's which is why I I think it's a deal that could blow up in their face. Right, 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 right. I thought you were talking about Sebastian Ajo, but yeah, no, no. Right. In, in, in Sebastian yeah. Ajo's case, it was. Well, if we don't sign, at least we get something back. Sure, sure, There's sure. no guarantee in this case they'll get anything back. Right, right, right. Because Hamilton can call the shots as of July 28th. He's a free agent. Yeah, but if they he, could like not. they could trade him to, because then like this team like if they trade him, this team could then start to, um, like, you know, like sign him for eight years instead of seven years um or something like that so there is True. like there is that added benefit of getting him before the free agency market opens i um, suppose but at the same time would you rather sign him to a seven-year deal and give up nothing for him or give up something just to guarantee an eighth year true i guess like However, i almost want like, the seven year like i'm thinking like a team like winnipeg um like, they never yeah. get any free agent. And, you know, they've been yeah. dying to get, like, a defenseman of Dougie Hamilton's caliber. So, yeah, I w I, if I was Winnipeg, yes, I would be, like, 
top of the line trying to get Dougie Hamilton, make a trade, trade whatever you want, just so that you can get Dougie Hamilton. I mean, obviously you have to, you know, meet with Dougie Hamilton and make sure it makes sense. But yes, I, if I was Winnipeg or like a, um, I don't know, even like a team that doesn't really get a lot of players, um, in the open market usually, um, like even Arizona or something, um, with this OEL rumors and stuff. Yes, I would, I would for sure, uh, go to like, that would be, I would definitely trade him. Um, but I, I do see your point at the same time. Cause like, you know, Winnipeg could talk to Carolina and just be like, all right, we like you, this is what we're going to sign you to. And then, um, and maybe he accepts it at that point. Yeah, and, and that's why I think it's it's a big gamble for Carolina on top of that is sure. because you're going to have to pay a lot to take on Oliver ekman Larson's contract, and you're going to have to give up some assets. Mm-hmm. Even for one year of Seth Jones on an expiring contract where there's no guarantee he's going to re-sign with you, after that next year, you're going to have to give up a fair amount of assets. You might not have to give up as much for Dougie Hamilton and you can just sign him to a contract and boom, he's yours. Right. Like a lot of teams would be willing to jump on that. A lot of good teams, as a matter of fact. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I do respect the proactiveness of the team and the player to do this because at least now you're not scrambling. If you know that Dougie Hamilton is gone, it's just like, okay, we have some time before the dominoes start to fall to figure out what the heck we're going to do and how we're going to fill this power play one spot on the back end. Is it going to be Jake Bean? Are we going to get a Randall like Eric Gustafson? Are we going to get somebody else? So there's going to be a lot there because Dougie Hamilton obviously is the biggest uh, UFA defenseman uh, of this draft class. So he's going to be a guy that a lot of teams are going to check in on. Um and, and I think the flat cap could pose an issue for future long-term signs as well. So that'll be something to keep in mind. And you mentioned all the other guys that Carolina is going to have to sign or, um, or may want to sign, no guarantees. You have right. Nadelkovich as the RFA, Morazic and Reimer, who are UFAs, Sveshnikov obviously playing a key role in the Hamilton stuff too. Um, I, I'm just thinking like... If, if you're Carolina, I know they have a lot of depth on defense. Slavin and Pesci, I don't think, are going anywhere because they're the two-way defensemen that make that back end what it is. And I think it helps Dougie Hamilton to an extent because he can just play his game without fear because if they get burned, then he's pretty confident that Slavin and Pesci will be, will be out there to clean up the mess that was left behind. Um, I think... You look at other areas that that might not have as much insulation as Carolina has, and Dougie's defensive numbers might suffer as results. He might still put up a lot of points, but I think the defensive numbers could take a hit. And I think they're pretty decent enough because of the likes of Slavin and Pesce on the back end to help him out. At the same time, when you look at guys like Brady Shea and Jay Gardner, I'm just thinking do either of them have the same kind of ceiling as Dougie Hamilton? And the short answer is no, they don't. So why are we sitting here debating about whether or not we can keep Dougie Hamilton where you can just trade one or both of Brady Shea and Jake Gardner to make up the cap room. And they, they might have to do that anyways to create cap space to, to sign Sveshnikov and Adelkovich. So 
even then it might be mission impossible to keep Dougie Hamilton on board and keep everyone else in the band. So that that's another thing that uh, Don Waddell is going to have to stir over in, in the upcoming uh, days, weeks and months ahead of uh, July 28th. But I, I just feel with this move, it's like the hurricanes back themselves into a corner. Like they, they didn't really have to give permission to teams this early to talk to Dougie Hamilton. They could have waited it out a little bit longer and and now you're going you, you might have to settle for whatever you can get. I feel the contending teams they don't do that. They stick to their guns. They stand by what they have and they they don't break when they're faced with a tough situation. I fear that Don Waddell might have broken by giving all of these teams the permission to talk to one of the biggest UFA defensemen that's out there on July 28th. And there's not much you can do about it. Now they're talking to Dougie. Nothing's really come out of it. But you're giving them the chance to work out an offer with Dougie Hamilton. And I would be shocked if not a single one of those teams didn't provide Dougie with an offer that made him think, do I want to stay in Carolina? There's going to be at least one team guaranteed that makes him think twice about his future with the Hurricanes. Yeah, I, I guess the reason why I was I, I've been thinking of like this trading thing is because I think the fact that they get, um, like, because of the fact that like if you have Dougie before uh, July twenty eighth, which I think is the 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 free agent date. Um, like you, you get the eight, you can sign him to an eighth year, so that could be intriguing, um, and th- that's the only reason why I think Carolina is willing to do this is because they know that they they could work out a trade with one of these teams, um, because and then it's like so let's say they don't allow a team to to see him, and then they feel like uh like you know then they could potentially lose Dougie to nothing um, if they don't allow teams to talk to him. Um, there's also a chance that maybe Dougie like, wants a longer term and Carolina's not willing to do that. Um, and then this is their way of trying to see um, uh, what, what else is out there. And maybe Dougie comes back, but they're willing to like stick with their guys if Dougie isn't there. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know, maybe, and also I think maybe there is a chance that Dougie's just like, you know what, I want to get paid and I'll take the best offer. Um, and, and maybe there is something to just Dougie just wants to have more control, um, in the situation and Carolina is just trying to appease him, uh, by giving him that control. Um, anyways, uh, so, so if Dougie does sign him. Or if, if, if Dougie does go elsewhere, um, I already mentioned, I think the best spot for him is probably Winnipeg. Um, Philadelphia maybe makes some sense too, because uh, they've been looking, they're, they're probably also in the most need for defensemen. But uh, are there other teams that you're thinking of that Dougie could go to that makes sense? Um... It's kind of tough because I, I think the fit is, is so important. That's probably 
that's 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 gonna be a tough one to dissect i'm sure there's like the usual like two three four teams right. that are big game hunting that could probably uh serve as a good fit for him uh off the top of my head i i'm not really gonna provide an answer because a that team and dougie hamilton need to figure out okay is this going to be a fit personally professionally is this going to be a long-term solution here and also um do we have the money (laughs) because the flat salary cap is still a thing no matter where dougie signs so that that's not going to change if he stays in carolina or goes elsewhere um so there are a lot of factors at play as to what is the perfect fit and i think up until July 28th, if they want him that bad, they're going to have to give up something to Carolina. So um, there's going to be, there are going to be a lot of balls in the air with this thing. And it's probably going to go right down to the wire. Um, I, and and this, this adds to the Kirill Kaprizov stuff because negotiations with Dougie Hamilton, this isn't the first rodeo. It wasn't a tough, it wasn't an easy negotiation in Boston and it led to a trade as a result. Right. So when you get into these tough situations where it becomes tough to negotiate with your party, eventually GMs grow tired of whatever this is and they'll just be like, you know, let's just shelve this and give it some time and we'll get back to it later. Also, you can speak to other teams if you want. So that's where I think those sticky situations of the past come back to bite Dougie. Um, and the GMs aren't stubborn. They're 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 going to pick up on stuff, and they're they're not going right. to let that dictate their offseason plans. Even if your name is Dougie Hamilton and you're very good at hockey. So I thought you were going to list some teams, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's fine. I guess you're 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 taking the the um, the uh, safe. <laughs> the safe route of not. I, fe- I feel okay. I'll I'll name I'll name one team that could make a play for in Philadelphia. Okay. Simply because I think they're going to go after a defenseman, whether it's Seth Jones or Dougie Hamilton. Philly's going to be up to something. So okay. I would put Philly out in the universe. I don't know if it's going to happen, but they're the one team I'm thinking they're going to go big game hunting for a defenseman. Yep. That that I mean I did mention Philly. That that seems to make sense. Um. But yeah, and uh, I, I was gonna say um, Winnipeg, I think, is the other one. Um, and in particular, if there is a team that's gonna trade for him, I think it could be Winnipeg, just because no free agents ever go to Winnipeg. Um, so yeah. I, I feel like Winnipeg might realize that and say like, okay, like this is our shot to get Dougie um, after they talk to him or something like that. So then they can uh, sign him up um, and, and get him uh, there. Um, and then, um, I was also thinking Pittsburgh maybe, although I think they're kind of, they're in a weird cap situation. So maybe not. Um, Pittsburgh is again, one of those wild cards that you don't think makes sense, but they sign yeah. him anyway, just because they're the Pittsburgh Penguins and yeah. they can, even if it doesn't make sense, but, and it would also piss off Philly. So yeah. <laughs> why not? Right. And you also bring up a good point too, is that like, uh, this would be Dougie's fourth team, um, mm-hmm. and two of those teams were because uh, they were unhappy with, like, or he was apparently wasn't a good culture fit, 
And this time, I'm we're not really sure why Carolina's doing this. Maybe it's like a good, like a positive thing or not. But, um, but yeah, I I would imagine there are GMs who are a little bit wary, knowing his history in Boston and in Calgary, and now in Carolina, where you're like, wait, what? Why are why do you want to go? I thought everything was cool. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think it does bring some red flags for Dougie. Is like, okay, so maybe he's like he's just like a prima donna or something um and uh you have to figure out how how that works so so yeah there's there's a chance for that um okay we have to get moving on i feel like um in other news uh gerard glant finally gets a job um we've been talking about this it feels like forever um and he's going to be the new york rangers coach um and uh, I think there was reports a while ago that he was um, like the Rangers were looking for looking at Ger- or talking to Gerard Gallant. Um, in fact, like Vegas had to give Gerard Gallant permission uh, to talk to the Rangers. Um, so so maybe that's why Gerard Gallant hadn't found a job until now because Vegas just didn't give him give. Uh, a lot of teams permission to talk to him uh which is still a little bit strange because you know they're doing pretty well right now um in the playoffs but um but yeah it, it seems um i think this is a cool good fit for for um uh, gerard Gallant and the rangers because they're um you know they're starting to be more of a um a contending team and yeah they have artemi panarin they have Chris Kreider um, and Jacob Truba, who are all, like, you know, fairly old, although, you know, late 20s, early 30s, so that's not, like, too old. And you also have Mika Zibanejad as well. Um, and then you also have a bunch of their young guns, and this is where Gerard Gallant really comes in, and he has to um, help them out a lot, which is something that David Quinn just didn't wasn't able to do. Uh, which is get Capo Caco going, get Alexis Lafreniere going. Vitaly Kravtsov has to come in at some point. Philip Chiquitl, he's looked better and better every season, but um, he's he could be an important piece for them. Um, and then on the back end stuff, Keandre Miller, Adam Fox, of course. Um, and then you have um, um, uh, Niles Lundquist, who's another... Uh, defenseman, defensive prospect who should be coming into the mix pretty soon too, um, and not to mention, of course, Igor Shashurkin. So, uh, so they have a lot of like core go- young guys who have a lot of hype going into them that are going, to, and it's going to mesh with players that are already good with Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, and Adam Fox, um, and Mika Zibanejad. So, um, so yeah, I think it's. Um, it, like, I feel like Gerard Glant is the right choice. He, he got like a bunch of ragtag misfits in Vegas to the Stanley cup finals, uh, two years ago or three years ago. Um, and, um, and yeah, I think this like, he's, he's getting not, this is a more talented team than that Vegas team was. So, um, so yeah, I'm curious to see how, um, what he can do with this roster. 
Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the Rangers need Gerard Gallant. Um, even though the last time Gerard Gallant coached an NHL game, the pandemic hadn't happened yet. Right. Been a while. Um, and back then, of course, Seattle wasn't really... I don't think Seattle... Were they given approval? Were they even thought of as an NHL team back then? No, maybe they were. No, um, so. But I don't think they were approved by the NHL at that point. I think um, there were like or, thoughts or that it was I, like, I think it was like January, was, February, twenty twenty. Yeah, it was something like they were. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It it's, was definitely it's been, in it's been a year and a bit since Gallant coached the game. Yeah, is what yeah, I'm yeah, getting yeah, yeah. at. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot has happened since then. Uh, Tom Wilson is still a jerk. Yeah, <laughs> that hasn't changed. Um, but anyways, uh, the deal with the Rangers for Gallant's believed to be four years, so that's a significant commitment to him. Um, Coincidentally, follows the showing by Team Canada at the World Hockey Championships. I think that really sealed the deal for Gallant anywhere, where whether it was the Rangers, whether it was Seattle, whether it was anywhere, wherever Gerard Gallant was going to go. I think that tournament proved that he's, he's still Gerard Gallant and he can still turn a team around in a short period of time. Like this, this again, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this was a team Canada that didn't have the likes of Claude Drew or Sidney Crosby, even Alexis Lafreniere. It w- it had like a handful of top six, bottom six forwards like Connor Brown, Andrew Mangiapane, Adam Henrique, but that's about it. There wasn't any sparkling top six forwards to write home about. And this team started off 0 3, gets shut out by Latvia in the opener. And they turn it around. They pretty much win every single game after that and get to the gold medal game, win the gold medal game against Finland in overtime. And they did it with those guys and a coach that knew how to get the most out of them in a very short period of time. And it's a pattern that's repeated every single place he's been to. Uh, You look at his time in the QMJHL at the St. John Sea Dogs he, he spent three years with that team, won coach of the year in the QMJHL and the entire CHL on two occasions, not once but twice, which is tough to do, uh, won a Memorial Cup in 2011 with the team. They were the first maritime team, not Halifax, the first maritime-based team to win the Memorial Cup. So made a little bit of history while doing that. And then he goes to uh, Florida for his first big head coaching gig. I, I know he was a head coach in Columbus, but I think the one that really put him on the map was his time in Florida. And the first couple of years were very, very good. In his first year, they had a 25 point jump. The Panthers weren't really good, but they got better really, really fast under his watch. And then they actually won a division title in his second year. I think they had like 103 points, something like that. And they were the top seed in the Atlantic Division. So that that just goes to show you how, again, in a short period of time, how he's able to rally the team together. And then, hey, he gets a second chance in Vegas, and look what he does. Same thing, short period of time, on a team with basically the scraps of other NHL rosters, they put together a team that goes to the finals in year one and wins the division title and wins 50-plus games. That's how good he is capable of coaching any single hockey team on on this 
planet, basically. I think he could get Ottawa 30 wins if he really wanted to in his first year with the team. I think he could. Just because he's that good at trusting the guys that he has at his disposal, even if they're not used to playing first-line power play minutes or top-line minutes against the other team's best players, right? So when I look at Gallant's resume, I think it was pretty clear that he should have been hired a long time ago, whether he was waiting for the right opportunity or Vegas wouldn't allow the other team to talk to them because Vegas, the main reason why the Rangers got to talk to him is because Vegas let him uh, because he was still under contract with the Golden Knights even though they fired him. So that's partially how this came to be. And then the Rangers hire him. And I look at the Rangers team and I see them and I'm thinking, first of all, this top six looks better than the top six that Vegas had in its first year. Mm -hmm. But Vegas was a well-rounded team. The Rangers are not. They're a fairly one-dimensional team that relies on speed and skill when you look at their takeaways, the, the, the takeaways aren't that promising. The giveaways are even worse. And this was a problem with David Quinn as coach. And in the later stages of Alain Vigneault's stint with the Rangers, it was also a problem. You look at the first year um, that Gerard Gallant was with the Vegas Golden Knights. The New York Rangers that same year in 2017-18 had 991 giveaways, the second most in the NHL. The year after, 986 giveaways, that's fourth most. The year after that, in 70 games last year, 827 giveaways, second most again. And then this year they had 501 giveaways over a 56-game slate. That is 11th most. So while it did improve and they were playing against pretty good teams in that highly contested division 11th most is still not fantastic it's it's not something to take pride in and it should also be mentioned they were sometimes dealing with a devil's team that was going through more growing pains a sabers team that struggled to just stay relevant and a leaky flyers defense that gave up more goals than buffalo somehow so (laughs) It's not exactly promising when when you look at the numbers there and say they actually improved. I don't know if they really improved in that department at all. Whereas you look at Vegas, and if they're not first in the league in takeaways, they're second basically every single year since uh, Gallant took over. And in the two and a half years that he was there, they were first and second in that department uh, around the same neighborhood as Carolina was. So... This is a team that needs to play the two-way game better. They need to forecheck and backcheck with authority like Vegas can. I don't know if they can get it out of this current group. But at the very least, they need to get better at the overall game, the two-way game, because that's how the Rangers are leaving their goalies high out to dry sometimes, is that they're giving up a lot of shots on goal, a lot of quality shots on goal, and Shazurkin and Gorgiev are having to make pretty difficult saves to, to keep their team in the hockey games. Just because they play that very fast-paced style that, that can put them in very bad spots. So they need to work on that. And then, of course, they need to work on you know the special teams, the power play, the penalty kill. And the overall roster and how it's constructed, they need the bottom six to be 
if not as good as Vegas, at least close to that for them to really take that next step forward. And they need to get, in order to do that, they need to get the most out of Philip Keedle, out of Brett Howden, um, out of uh, Libor Hayek. All of those guys that have struggled to really find their stride, Capo Caco, Alexis Lafreniere, they need them all on the same page. Jacob Truba, too. Every single person on the Rangers is going to have to bring it. And I feel like with Galan at the helm, that's going to be a little bit easier. I don't know if it's going to lead into immediate success right away like it did with Vegas, but I think you are going to see some improvements in how the Rangers play, and it's going to it's going to reflect that in the standings. Yeah, I think I predicted that uh, I think when, when I saw the last game the Rangers played against my Bruins, I was just thinking, like this was before they hired Gallant, obviously. I was just thinking like, okay, this Rangers team is is going to be pretty legit. And I, I was calling my shot that I think they're going to make the playoffs next year. And I, I'm even more convinced now with, I feel like this is a great hire for the Rangers um, for all the reasons that you just said. But yeah, I think a lot of the players have to uh, commit uh, like they're doing. And I think the, the biggest knock that I had on David Quinn was just the fact that he had like, Lafreniere playing 13 minutes a night or Kako playing 13 minutes a night or even less and I guess there is some like uh, you know there is some uh, argument for doing that because you know they they are they do most likely make mistakes and you don't want like you know young players tend to make more mistakes um, and stuff but at the same time like um Lafreniere and Kako are your franchise and like how are they going to learn how are they going to develop um if you don't give them enough ice time um you know and, and or shut them down whenever they make one silly mistake so that that part to me is like I just hope that um Gallant gives Lafreniere and Kako an equal shot that David Quinn wasn't able to do for some for whatever reason um and it's strange because David Quinn was a college coach you would think that he would be okay with allowing the young guys to to play but um and, and you know like and they were still a pretty good team um but it's just uh I, I felt like uh it made sense that David Quinn wasn't the guy to to take them to the promised land um, yeah, and and I I feel like David Quinn really didn't get much of an opportunity beyond those two years to like really prove himself. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I think it's worth the gamble hiring Gerard Gallant yep. if it means getting rid of David Quinn, um, just because of the success that Gallant's had in different markets. Right. and how he's able to assemble teams together. Yep. Um, so I, I think the Rangers are on the right track. Now they need to find guys that kind of fit and style a bit more because I, I, I do feel that – I'm not saying they need to, like, get so tough that Tom Wilson doesn't scare them anymore. Right. Like, I'm not saying that. But but they need to be a hard forechecking guy. They need to make it difficult for the other team to get into their zone. Yeah, and I, guess. I, I think I think if if you if the players can't adapt to their style, you need to find players that can. Well, that kind of reminds me of what James Dolan was saying: is that he felt like they they needed to get tougher 
um, and they needed to get like you know more enforcers. Like he's kind of like thinking like this is the 1990s or 1980s NHL when like toughness was a valued commodity um, in the NHL, which I don't I don't necessarily buy either. So I don't think like the Rangers should go on and get Ryan Reeves or players who play like Ryan Reeves. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, I think there is like a way that you can do it where you play like, you know, good hockey and defensively responsible hockey. Um, mm-hmm. But while also like allowing your young players like Lafreniere and Kako to, um, to grow and, and develop so that they're not like in fear that they're going to be uh, on the fourth line um, if, what, when they make a mistake. Because uh, mistakes are going to happen. Um, so, so that, that's all I'm asking. It's just like, you know, obviously I, I understand that Kako and the Frenier aren't like, um, perfect players and, and stuff like that. And obviously you have a guy like Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad who are world-class elite players. Um, and Adam Fox is, is getting there too. Um, so, so I, I get that, but like at the same time, I feel like Lafreniere and Kako has unlimited potential, um, and that's gonna be the way to go if the uh, Rangers ever wanna win the cup. Is they have to get those guys um, going so that we can see what they're really good at and what we know. Yeah, they're you can't of. you can't rely on Panarin and Strowman's yeah. Zibanejad to get all the points. Of like course. that 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 will only get you so far. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, the other coaching news uh, we have here. You did mention that uh, Gerard Gallant was a coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I think Brad Larson was a coach during that time. Because I, I was just looking at this, he was so Brad Larson's the new head coach for the Blue Jackets. And I was looking at this, and I just I just because I knew he was an assistant coach. Because uh, you're probably wondering, like, who's Brad Larson? Um, he was an assistant coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets for uh, seven years, um, or six years, 11 months, and 24 days to be exact, um, according to Cat Friendly. So he's been in the, uh, that feels like that's, that's basically the entire Columbus Blue Jackets franchise. Um, so <laughs> Brad Larson probably was the assistant coach when Gerard Gallant was, was there, um, and um and that's, uh, so yeah, it's been seven years and he finally gets a head coaching job. It is a little strange because it's like, um, there were other coaches that were available that they probably could have gotten. Gerard yeah, like David Quinn and Rick Tockett's and David Quinn's another one, yeah. Rick Tockett's another one, yeah. I think Gallant was still available at the time of yeah. that hiring too, so they could have hired him if they wanted. True. If Vegas allowed it. Yeah, so, and maybe Vegas didn't allow it, who knows. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, what there, what threat does Columbus pose to them? Yeah, 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 exactly. David Quinn may even end up working too, because it's not like they have a ton of prospects that he's going to ruin their career. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but but yeah, I, I think there is something to hiring um, guys that are in their system. Having said all that, because I think um, you know it worked for Boston with Bruce Cassidy, it worked for uh, Pittsburgh with Mike Sullivan. Uh, there's another one that it worked for. Oh, I guess um, I was going to say Washington, but uh, Todd Reardon. But I don't think you 
can really count that. But like those are probably the two best examples of Mike Sullivan and Bruce Cassidy, where you're getting guys who already know all these players. Um, it's a little different with Brad Larson because he was the assistant coach and, and uh, Cassidy and Sullivan were the AHL coaches. So it's not like you can like, um, uh, like he can get accustomed with the young guys. But at the same time, it's like, you know, Brad Larson knows all the play, all the players, he knows all the staff. He probably he knows the GM. He knows everyone in the team, and I think that can help him out a long term in his first head coaching role, um, and and seeing it that way. Um, and yeah, I, I think Columbus has a, an interesting team this year. Even though like Seth Jones is going, um, it's probably going to be his last year, but or if they don't trade him, obviously, but. Um, but yeah, even still, you have Patrick Laine, um, you have Zach Wierenski, you have uh, Jack Roslovic, who had a breakout year this year, Max Domi, see if he can, if you can get him going, uh, Cam Atkinson, Oliver Borkstrand, who's one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, so, yep. um, and, and you know, you also have something with Elvis Merzilkins. I know he didn't have as great of a year this year. I mean, but on the other hand, like none of the Blue Jackets had a great year this year, so I think all, I think all things considered, he had a good year. Yeah, when you look at like, the save percentage and but not what he compared had to, work to with. his like rookie year. Um, well, yeah, his rookie year was exceptional, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, and, and that's more what I'm talking about. So I, I I feel like he could be going back to what he was like his rookie year. Um, and I, I think a lot of the reasons why, like, all these players didn't do as well is just because I think they were all tired of Torts, and they knew that his contract was looming. They knew that he um, he was out, so I feel like they're, like, this is just a fresh start for them, and they get a guy who's in the system and can, uh, can help them out there. Um, obviously, I think there were other coaches out there but I also have to respect that like you know player uh teams are taking shots with like like not going with a retread and not going with another one who has um you know this would be their second or third shot at a at a pro team and it's just it's gonna be his first shot so I I always respect those type of moves when it's like a you're giving this coach a shot and seeing how it goes because you never really know. It could be the next Barry Trotz. Yeah, it's and he's got a fair amount of time to prove himself. I believe it's a three-year deal for him. Um, and this decision has a lot of mixed feelings in the Columbus fan base. The section have a strong feeling that he's a part of the reason for the team's power play problem. Um, and to take a look at that, uh, by the way, he was an assistant under Torts, so they're a little... Yeah ties to the torts regime with this hire um and i would counter the fresh slate with if it was a fresh slate i think seth jones might be more open to staying in columbus if it was that true but there there could be other reasons that he's leaving too not just the coaching maybe right we don't even know if it's the coaching that he wants out yeah uh, anyways here's what we do know is that columbus's power play has been ugh. even during the torts regime even with panarin even with duchene uh, the power play just wasn't doing it. Um, you look at 2017-18, 17.2% successful. Uh, that was the seventh worst percentage in the entire NHL, 17.2%. Fell even further to 
2018-19, the next year, 2018-19, the year where he had Panarin and Duchesne and the likes of those guys, uh, fourth worst in the league that year. Fifth worst the following year in 70 games before COVID halted the regular season. It was at 16.4% then. Uh, remained at fifth worst this year after a 15.4% showing in 56 games. And that was, of course, without, again, the likes of Panarin and Duchesne. Uh, you had Line and Roslevic playing well at times. And you also added Max Domi, but you also subtracted Pierre Lutubois and Josh Anderson. Um, and you also had the usual amount of suspects injured. Um, I, I guess the one thing they can say is, hey, I mean, Anaheim logged 8.9% this year. We're not that bad, but they're still not great. And I honestly, it doesn't even matter who they hired. I don't know if this situation is salvageable. Um, like the obvious history of Seth Jones and what happens next obviously points to the door that he's going to exit out of. Um, but after that, what are you going to do with Patrick Line? What are you going to do with Zacharinsky? What about Max Domi? What about the others? Even Bjorkstrand, who committed long-term to them. I, I don't really know if the next three to five seasons are going to be very positive in Columbus. I think I'm hoping we don't see a full rebuild like not scorched earth like ottawa did where apparently anybody from three to four years ago was on the team but i think a rebuild of some sort could be on the horizon if if things don't pick up this year next year is going to be an interesting year for them i'm not going to say if they're going to be good if they're going to be bad if they're going to be average but i look at the roster and i don't think they're a playoff team uh, based on on how it's yeah. constructed, based on the unknowns of this Brad Larson and how he would run an NHL hockey team and the coaching styles he would use, especially with the division that they're in, where it's a very doggy dog division. That now is Gerard Gallant on it, by the way. Right. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. Uh, so, uh, I I I don't really have anything to be excited about in Columbus setting into next year. Sorry to say, um, it, it could be a very long season for them. Yeah, I guess it, it's possible that the, like, Brad Larson's not a great coach. I do remember when you said that, like, the Columbus Blue Jackets fans don't love this hire. Um, but I don't know. I, I think there is something to the fact of, like, it being, like, his first shot and you never really know, but... Um, but yeah, I, I think there there is. Um, I do like when teams don't go with like the the retreads. So I, I think there is something to that. But um, but yeah, you could be right that this could just be like a disaster waiting to happen. Um, I'm not convinced if if the Columbus Blue Jackets are a team that just got bounced in the second round and parted ways with John Tortorella, and they were considered a contender for years to come i don't know if they make a brad larson type of hire to be honest i think they go after someone else but given how things have gone it's one of those things well let's let's see what this guy has we'll give him a couple of years and we'll see where we're at um just because there's a lot of balls up in the air and we don't know what the heck is going to happen uh with the outlook of this franchise uh even next year, let alone sure. a few years down the road. So yeah. I, I feel like it would be a different situation if 
they were playoff contenders and like going deep into playoff runs. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. I guess there's also like Patrick Line, um, that whole situation. <laughs> he didn't really have the best year. Um, I mean, neither did Pierre Luc Dubois in Winnipeg. So, um, so it's like, at least it wasn't like a terrible trade, but um, or so far at least. But yeah, I had hoped that like maybe if Tortorello left, then like Patrick Line could get going, and I guess that could still happen, but. But we'll see. Um, but yeah, I guess that's probably the only thing that could help uh, Columbus Blue Jackets fans or give them hope is like Patrick Line, he might be pretty good. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, although I guess he's he might he's a re, he's a free agent next year as well, so um, he might be gone. Um, anyways, let's go to. The series, uh, there is some hockey going on, believe it or not. Um, so the uh, the first thing we're going to say, well, first off, uh, we usually record this on Sunday. Um, the Vegas uh, Montreal Game 4 is uh, playing at 8 p.m., so in a couple of hours from now. So we don't know the, um, we don't know the, you know, what's going to happen in Game 4. Mm-hmm. But we will. Yeah, what we do know is by the time you hear this podcast, it'll either be 3 1 halves in the series right. or we'll, we'll be dead even at two heading back into Vegas for game five. Yes, that's a good way of saying it, uh, for sure. <laughs> um, Which is another way of saying halves have a 2 1 lead in the series. Yes, exactly. I was about to say that, so thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was interesting, too, because I felt like, um, yeah, game one, it seemed like. Um, Vegas took control there. Uh, game two, it was a little bit more even, um, and that's the one that Montreal won, um, obviously, because uh, it's a 2-1 series lead. But, um, but like, even still, like, um, like, Carey Price faced 31 shots, whereas Marc-Andre Fleury faced 23 shots in that game. Uh, game three was a bit ridiculous. Uh, first off, because... Uh, I forget his first name, but Ducharme, uh, the Dominic Ducharme. Dominic Ducharme, yes. And he, I can I can tell you he's been ruled up for the rest of the semifinals. Well, so we well, let me say game. what what happened. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, uh, what did happen, Brett? What yeah, happened? Tell us. Yeah, thanks. Um, the <laughs> Habs coach uh, Dominic Ducharme, he uh, he tested positive for COVID, um, which is interesting because he got uh, he was vaccinated. Um, uh, they said June 10th, which was like he got his second dose, I believe. So yeah. he's double vaccinated. Right, right. That's but that was on June 10th, um, his mm-hmm. second dose, and um, and yeah. So then he got a tested positive, uh, which is uh, I guess like six days later. Um, it's just strange to like you know. I guess it's just a showing of like. You know, even if you are vaccinated, you can still test positive for COVID. Um, but like, and I had I had thought that maybe it was like a false negative or something like that. But um, I guess it's not. And um, they say that he's I unless he tests is ne- negative again, he's like out for ten days, which could be at the end of the series. Um, so so uh, we'll see. Um, however. Um, Montreal ended up winning game three, uh, somehow, um, 
it was a crazy game too because um, you know for one reason because the Habs had their assistant coach um, and also Vegas had 45 shots um, whereas uh, Montreal had 27 so that's quite a big difference and that's reminiscent of the Vegas Colorado series um, also it's, it felt to the point where like Vegas was always in the Hab zone. Uh, credit to Carey Price, he played phenomenal as he always does. But um, but yeah, it's um, but then it came to the last um, like it was like a minute left in game in the third period, and uh, Mark there's a puck that goes to the the back of the net and Mark or not the back of the net but the you know the wall behind the net. The um, funny part is, like, five to ten seconds before that, you can hear Pierre say, well, wait, Fleury's, me... puck, Fleury's puck handling's made a difference in this series, right. hasn't it, Joe? And literally five to ten seconds yeah. after that, the fluke goal happens, right? Well, yeah, okay. This is, like, the th third time. <laughs> oh, did I bury the lead again? <laughs> yes, you did the third time. I mean, at this point, if you're, watch if you're listening to us, you already know what happened, but, yes, <laughs> this is getting really annoying because you've been telling it, like... The replay's passed in your memory yeah. by the time we finished No, no, it's just that you've been breaking, you've been breaking <laughs> my news. We're just breaking... <laughs> We're just breaking stories constantly, but we have yeah, yeah. mostly. Well, no, it's just you, you're you're saying something that I'm about okay, to get okay. to into. Continue. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll stop. So yes. Anyways, as as Steve was just mentioning, um, Marc Andre Fleury was uh, uh, playing the uh, the puck behind the net, um, and then fumbles it and literally passed it straight to Josh Anderson, who scores the goal. Um, which was wide open, um, and then eventually in overtime, um, the uh, Josh Anderson scores again. Um, with um, I guess it was twelve minutes into overtime, so um, yeah. there was and still that one was that one was a legit goal. It yeah, and that one was a good one. Cynical. But yeah, it was it was just annoying. Um, and there was also like uh, oh, we forgot to mention that um, this is I'm not bearing the lead here. Uh, uh, there was a high stick that wasn't called um, that hit Corey Perry. It was in overtime too. Um, it wasn't called. It was a blatant overtime. It was a blatant call or like something that they should have called but they didn't. Um, just more outlook of how poor the refs have been in these playoffs. Um, in that, general, that should have been the five minute major. Yeah high sticking penalty they should have called on yeah, Vegas. Not the, the point, one in twenty nineteen. That one that one to me looked like a five minute major. Yeah, to the point that Corey Perry was bleeding and oh, he yeah. had to he had to go into his locker room too. Um it was it was funny too because they because uh, I guess during this the goal you could see they showed Corey Perry walk out and he's like his face was full of blood and he was just like screaming like a psychotic person because Corey Perry's psychotic but uh, like he had blood all over his face it was an it's like an iconic image that I feel like we're going to look at like years from now so like oh remember when Corey Perry looked out with his bloody face or whatever um, well, there, though there's two he incidents like a because uh, there was Jeff Petrie and his bloodshot eyes in like that, two, I think it oh, was. Yeah, 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 that was another one. That's true. You too. just like show that yeah. it's just like Carey Price won the Vesna. Yeah. What do you mean he's not on the ballot? No, seriously, he won the Vesna. It's like yeah. okay, he won the Vesna. 
<laughs> that's that's just the that's just the 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 angel of death staring into you, right, right, getting right. ready to steal your soul. Yeah, and and like to be clear, like it was a side effect from the medication he was getting. Uh, the injury is getting treated for it's a side effect of the medication his eyes are fine they just look really really red and yeah. look like the devil is staring right into yep no that's a good point um and it was also interesting to just from the we're going to mark andre Fleury's gaff um there was like mm -hmm. i saw a couple of people on twitter who are like penguins fans and they're saying like oh okay Fleury's back to his old ways because this is what he used to do in the playoffs uh when he was in pittsburgh um and it, it, it so it appears like it's it's chopped his way um i believe i saw that uh i think robin leonard is actually starting tonight or he he might play i i wonder if that's the reason why but i also saw this clip i don't know if you saw this steve but uh during warm-ups today um Mark Andre Fleury like practiced getting the puck behind the net, and then he <laughs> celebrated um, during warmups. So I feel like he he uh, so which was great because it's like it shows that he's able to make fun of himself and um, and he's trying to like move past it. But um, but yeah, I don't like I I don't know if Robin Leonard is playing or not. Um, so I obviously you guys will know if he is playing. Um, in game four or not, but yeah, it's just, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it's interesting too, because the last time Robin Leonard played was like a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. and, uh, that was that game one where Colorado just blew, uh, Vegas out. Um, so it, I'd be curious to see why. Uh, Robin Leonard's playing. I guess I can understand it, but uh, but it seems weird to do it just because if they if they're doing it because Flurry's injured, then yeah, I understand it obviously. Mm -hmm, but yeah. like if they're doing it because like Mark Andre Flurry messed up in Game Three, that makes no sense to me. Um, and it, I don't. Like it's that. such a tough call. It's with these judgment calls with coaches because you either look like a genius or you look like an idiot if your team loses mm -hmm. the game. Like if you keep Flurry, it's just like, oh, you should have gone with Leonard. Oh, you put yeah. Leonard, and then he like gets chased after like three goals on like ten shots in the first period, and you're going to Flurry anyway. It's just like you should, you should, you should have kept Flurry in the neck. You should have kept Flurry in the neck. He got the second time Leonard's gotten chased in these playoffs. He's only played two games. I think that what has a lot of people scratching their heads is because, okay, it's one thing for Leonard to get the start against Colorado because that was game one. If you lose that game, so what? You're down one nothing. If they lose this game, they're down 3-1 going back home, and they have to win three straight elimination games to just get to the finals. That's, that's where it could be proved costly if Leonard and uh, the supposed starter and the Golden Knights don't win this game. Is that they're down three one instead of just one nothing? Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. That's a good point too. Um, this is like this is a series where I feel like you know Vegas has been the better team, um, but mm -hmm. but for whatever reason Montreal just still grinds and they're they're never out of it and they just they they just. You know they find ways to win, and that's what you need to do in these playoffs. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think like this, this series feels like it's going to go 
seven games. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like, but um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those ones where like I'm watching this. It's like Vegas is like controlling it the whole time, but then you see like. Oh right, Carey Price is on fire, and then you yeah. see like. Yeah, remember what I yeah, said? Cole remember Caulfield what I said about the amazing. worst thing about yep. getting goalied is getting goalied by Carey Price. Right. Well, that's happening to Vegas right now. Yep. At like game three, in the first period, the shots were 70, 17 to three for the Golden Knights. They were thirty to eight after the second period. Yep. Like literally no contest. Vegas was dominating that game, and it was a one-one tie. Yep. And and Montreal scores like not even a full minute after Vegas yep. gets the first goal the first goal of the game like this is what i'm talking about when you let montreal hang around you are asking for pain right and vegas got pain in game three they need to take montreal out of games early and like vegas was able to do in game two even though uh or like montreal was able to do in game two when they opened up a three nothing lead even though vegas fell back with two goals from petrangelo they couldn't get that third one to tie the mm. game because Gary Price did his thing and the Canadians' defense was able to do the rest. Um, and that was a big game, of course, because if Vegas wins that, then right. they're up 2 nothing instead of the series being tied one going back uh, to La Belle Provence. So I, I think for me, if game four goes to Montreal, it's curtains for Vegas. Just because Chandler Stevenson is injured and he's their best option down the middle, we talked about the center depth possibly costing them the Stanley Cup. It honestly could if they lose game four. Yep. Uh, but if Vegas wins game four, we have a series again. It's a best of three, and I still think Vegas are the favorites. But if they go down 3-1, they're not winning three straight. Montreal's going to win one of those three and, and finish them. It's funny, too, that Montreal's playing yet again another uh, series without the, the opponent losing their uh, first-line center. Um, but, um, but it, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. The trend continues. Yeah. yeah. It? But it's, it's, it's strange because Stevenson's not at the same level as Mark Scheifele or John Tavares. <laughs> he's, obviously. he's not. And that's the problem yeah, for Vegas. Know, even if he's on the ice. Yeah, no, it's a funny thing. But, um, I, I also want to shout out Alex Petrangelo. He's been a phenomenal. Shea Theodore as well has been phenomenal. Um, and then I also want to shout out, uh, Cole Caulfield. Um, he's been, um, it's like, it's crazy that he fell to 15th overall. Um, I just, I don't understand why teams didn't do it. Like, I guess it's because he's short, but like the guy had like 70 goals that year. It's, it's insane. Like 50 games for the U S national team. It's, it's insane to me that, um, he was able to do that. I understand it's because he's short, but you know who else is short? Jack Hughes, and you drafted him first overall. So, like, yeah. it, it, it makes no sense to me why he... Like, I, and I was looking back at that draft. Um, like, yeah, I guess Tre Ducks probably want to keep on to Trevor Zegris, uh, Chicago with Kirby Doc, Bowen Byron looks pretty good. Um, but, like, F Philip Broberg at nine, uh, Vizelli Pud Colson at, in Vancouver at ten. Yeah. Um, Spencer Knight. The, the second, yeah. the second guy that the Habs are yeah. pointing and laughing at Vancouver, yeah. saying he could have been yours. Yeah, I mean, like it's just it's, it's insane that he didn't go top ten at least. Um, yeah. So that, but uh, and he's showing why he's so good. Obviously, it's still early, but uh, you know that was like two years ago. Um, but 
Um, and who knows what Pod Colson can be in the KHL, in the NHL or what Broberg can be in the NHL. So um, I'm prepared to eat my words, but right now it's not looking good for uh, those two picks in particular. Um, yeah, I, I I told you that tandem of Suzuki and Caulfield. Yep. Watch out, they're they're gonna be dominating the yep. league in a couple of years, and I'm so here for it. Even if they come, it's, even, even if, if they continuously Montreal. burn my Senators in the process. I was about to say, it's like you're, you, who are yeah. you, who are you actually a fan of? Um, <laughs> I'm a fan of hockey. I'm a fan of good hockey content. Although I want the Sens to win a Stanley Cup in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I, I was thinking this too. If like if I wasn't a Bruins fan, I'd be so on the Habs bandwagon. Um, yeah, but I I just but, I I feel like I I just can't. It's like it's just yeah. like a like I feel like I have to remove my Bruins card if I yeah. If I you, at this point, you just hope they get traded yeah. to another team, exactly. even if it's like freaking Arizona, yeah. just to say oh, they're not a Montreal. I can cheer for them. Well, I actually secretly liked PK Subban when he was on Montreal. I just mm-hmm. never admitted it, but yeah. um, and I can like I admit that I like uh, Cole Caulfield, and I also kind of like Brendan Gallagher too, but um. And I respect Carey Price, but, um, yeah, I just, I can't root for them at all. Yeah, you, you won't buy a jersey with the name on him on the right. back because you'd have to buy a Habs jersey for that. Exactly. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. really wear too many Bruins jerseys anyway, so, it, but yes, I, I, I understand the, the analogy. Um, mm-hmm. Now we go to the next series, which is Tampa and New York. Uh, this one is tied 2-2. This one's an interesting one because it feels like, like one game it feels like New York is going to win the series, and then the next game mm-hmm. it looks like Tampa is going to win the series. Um, and it just goes back and forth, back and forth. Um, in particular, this last game um, where New York was actually doing pretty well. They scored three straight goals in the second period. Um, and then in the third period... Um, I thought like, oh, this is an actual game uh, because Braden Point scores early, then Tyler Johnson scores early, and you're like, oh, this this could be getting a little bit interesting here and there. Um, and then um, it sort of was, but then like the last like two minutes, uh, uh, Tampa commits this uh, penalty, um, Victor Hedman, in fact, um, and. Uh, and so then Tampa's on a power play, and I was just, like, I was watching the uh, uh, Nets-Bucks um, Game 7 instead, but I was, like, you know, on another screen, I was watching the Tampa-New York Islanders game, and, um, and then I saw that, like, Ryan McDonough, like, does the spinorama move, and all of a sudden, like, uh, Varlamov is for some reason out of the net um, and he has an open net and then in comes uh, Ryan Pulak who sh- blocks that shot um, it was probably like I don't think I've ever seen a game end that way um, there was like maybe like 0.2 seconds left in the game and um, and yeah Ryan Pulak saved the Islanders right in that moment um, and like, if it's, um, if the Islanders do end up winning the cup, that's going to be like the thing that we're going to look at, uh, back in the day. It's like Ryan Pulak say, like blocked that shot. And it, it was just crazy too. Cause it's like, 
not only the fact that like Ryan McDonough, who doesn't really do those flashy moves to begin with, he's not really known for his offensive capabilities as a defenseman. So he does this like spinorama move. He has this perfect opportunity, and it doesn't get blocked. It's saved by uh, the goalie. It's Ryan Pulak, and it was like in the last seconds of the game. It was incredible. I don't think I've ever seen a hockey game end that way, um, especially with these stakes. Uh, at least the playoff games. I don't think I've ever seen a playoff game in that way either. So um, yeah, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, I feel I feel like that Pulak save is one of those fan base moments that everyone reflects on. It's not going to be like the play that everyone talks about. Like for example, the '91 playoffs, the Penguins had that goal that Mario Lemieux scores against the Minnesota North Stars, where like he he just deeks two guys out of their jock straps and then deeks the goalie out of his and bang the puck is in the net mm-hmm. and it's just immortalized in hockey lore when you talk about like best playoff goals ever it's always there but in earlier in that playoff run uh the backup for tom barrasso frankie pierangelo he makes what they call the save against new jersey and i believe if the if the penguins don't win that game their season's over right and that is a save that you hear about not as often as Lemieux, but you hear about it. And I'm sure in Pittsburgh, it's talked about everywhere. They're just like, if not for that save, we probably don't win the cup at 91. We don't go on that mini dynasty run. And I think Pulak's save, similar to the Ryder save when the Bruins won the cup in 2011. Yep. Um, I think it's, it's going to be on that echelon of plays that everyone on Long Island is going to talk about un- until the day they die. Like that's going to be one of those back in the old day stories that you tell your grandkids during that playoff run. Mm-hmm. Pula came up big in the dying seconds. Yep. Um, and I think you're right. If the Islanders do go on to win the Stanley cup, that'll be the play that made it all happen. I think if Tampa goes into that overtime period, I don't know when they end it, but they're winning that game. Yep just because they were buzzing like crazy in the third period. The momentum was on their side and everything. Um, but the Islanders are able to come out with that big play. And you, we talked about the officiating that's also had some yep. eh moments like yeah, uh, I'm game about to two talk about for, that yeah. for, for example, we mentioned the point stuff. Uh, Dana Rourke justified that the high-end netminders need to be protected in this game. Well, if you're going to do that, then put Pellick in the box for shoving point right. in. Like, give him a cross-checking penalty if you're going to penalize point for goalie interference. Yep. And then there was, of course, the seven guys thing, which we already talked about, too, that Trotz well, was enamored about. Um, like, I that's that's what I don't like, is I don't know for sure if they're, mis- they're makeup calls, but they feel like they're makeup calls to me. Because it's just back call after back call after back call. That that is what game seven of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't want to see. I don't want to see calls like that influence a hockey game. Because that that goal, where seven guys were on the ice, that's the eventual game winning goal by Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Like in a close game, you can't have those plays being talked about. Especially leading up to, it's not thirty seconds before. It's right on the freaking goal. There's yep. seven guys, and it's right on the replay. Yeah, like, it's on video, and, and the goal still stands. Like you need to have some sort of automatic replay system to overturn that. Yep. 
like it's almost like you need a spotter for every single game just to detect how many guys are on the ice if it's this frequent. Like it's it's just stupid, man. Like I, I get that that officials are human and they can only see a certain amount of things, but the whole point is to make the right call. Like why are we adding like two minute penalties if if a call's being overturned? If if the if the wrong calls are being made on the ice, like we gotta correct those. Yep. Like take away the penalty if those if if so many incorrect calls are gonna be made, take off the two minute power plays that you give to the other team if they're wrong. Cause like if if the call if the if the inconsistent calls don't stop, you're still left with the same problem. You're still left with inconsistent officiating. And yep. it's infuriating. It's yes. infuriating to the the people who cheer for these teams. Like I don't have a dog in this fight. Mm. I don't care who wins the Stanley Cup. But I want to see good hockey, and I want to see hockey called right. Hockey's not called right when there's seven guys on the ice, and you, and you say, "Yeah, yeah, good goal." Like, no, no, I, I, I don't want to see that. I want to see the right call on the ice every time. So first or off, close to, uh, or as close to the right amount of time, anyway. First off, I, I let you ramble a bit. That's fine. Uh, first off, you also buried the lead because we hadn't actually talked about this. Um, oh, okay. Well. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Um, so I was about to explain it. You already did a little bit, but um, it's I, again. I understand whoever's listening to this has probably already seen all this stuff and, or was watching the game anyway. So um, it's it's a little bit more. It's a little silly that a reason why I'm getting mad at this. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I, I I'll explain it first, and then we can um, and then I'll get to my point to counteract what you were just saying. Um, one, uh, so there was uh, two plays, I think it was in game three, it might have been game two, but I think it was game three. Um, there was one play where Braden, oh no, I guess it was game two, because I'm looking at game three right now. And I guess Braden, it, was, it was in Tampa Bay when it happened, so yeah, that was game okay. two. It was game two. Uh, yes. So in game two, yeah, that makes sense, because I see Braden Point was, was he called? Oh, there was a lot of penalties in game two. But yeah, uh, <laughs> are, you, are you talking about the one where Braden Point is shoved into the goal? Yeah, 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 the interference one. Yes. Yes. But that was, that was the same goalie. game, though. That was the same game as the the too many men. Yeah, it was the one. same game. Yeah. Yes. The right. the goal happened after that play. Yeah, as yeah, a yeah. Matter of fact. Right, right, right. Uh, so, anyways, uh, so Braden Point gets this breakaway, but uh, Adam Pellock like basically. Uh, pushes Braden Point into Semyon Varlamov uh, to the point that Sorokin had to actually play, um, um, had to play a little bit. Um, but I guess Varlamov played for the rest of the time, anyways. Yeah, but, he, he did yeah. end up coming back in the game. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it was. I feel like this call was probably was even worse than the too many men call because, like. This one was one where, like, Brayton Point, yes, he fell into the goalie. Yes, technically, he did go into the goalie. But the only reason why he went into the goalie was because Adam Pellick pushed him. And, yeah. <laughs> like, like Adam Pellick doesn't get called for that. That's just, like, ridiculous. Like, I, I get technically, like, Brayton Point uh, was interfering. But there was nothing Brayton Point could do to, like, avoid Sermion Sir Varlamov at that point. Because he was pushed. He was pushed by uh, the New York Islanders uh, at that point. So 
that was ridiculous. Um, and then um, the too many men call doesn't really bother me as much because like because of that play because I felt like that was even worse than any of the calls that the Bruins uh, the Islanders got away with. In <laughs> I the knew you were series. gonna make that connection. So I, I, so I I, I, I felt like. I felt like this was karma that like there was no call yeah. for the too many men on yeah. on Tampa. It's like mm -hmm. yeah, that's what you get when Adam Pellick pushes Braden Point into the goal. That's what you get when you accuse yeah. of cheating on no, no, it has nothing to do with that. I know I, I know what I said, but like it has <laughs> it has more to do with the fact that like like the fact that like that's probably the worst call of this whole, the whole playoffs. It's like, you can't, like, it just makes no sense to me. I guess technically, uh, Braden Point did interfere with the goalie, but the only reason why he was able to do that was because he was pushed uh, yeah. by his own, like, by, by the other goalie. So it, it <clears throat> makes no sense to me. Um, and obviously, I, I get that, like, Barry Trotz was irate afterwards, and I felt some a bit of um, Freud, uh, Schadenfreude, from that, it's like, okay, now, like, Barry Trotz is angry at inconsistent refing. Uh, that's rich to me because he was, like, uh, he felt like the refs have been completely fair in the other series. But uh, that's besides the point. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I guess you're right. And on your other point that, like, you should, like, be able to do replays on these types of things, um, I... I think it, there's like a, I feel like that's, that gets into like opening a whole bag of worms because there's already like, yeah. you know, the whole like when you call for offsides for like goals that happened like five, like t 10 seconds later or 20 seconds later. Um, so it's like, so if you start to do replays for literally every penalty, then like, <laughs> like it goes so crazy especially because of how offsides uh you know challenges are working right now too so i i i don't think it makes sense that uh you can replay for stuff like that yeah it's just unfortunate that um that it happened um and i i feel like it's just a karmic type thing like you know it's like the other series it's like puck don't lie <laughs> it's like uh just a tit for tat type thing where it's like okay uh the islanders got away with something for that goalie interference thing in the early on in the first period tampa gets away with something um towards the end so it evens out um tim peel would be proud um so um so 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 from that standpoint i feel like it just cancels each other out um, and then uh, I do want to talk about um, the actual, like, you know, play, hockey plays. Um, I think Matthew Barzal's been pretty good. Uh, Braden Point, I think he has, like, 12 goals in, like, I think I saw, like, 12 goals in these playoffs and, like, the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah, have only played, like, 15. Yeah, he's on a seven-game goal streak as yeah. well. Seven-game goal streak. Yeah, he's been unbelievable. Um, mm -hmm. and it, yeah, and scoring crazy. big goals. It seems like every goal he scores True. is a big goal in the game. Yeah. So, so he's been amazing. Matthew Barzal has been good too. Josh Bailey, I think has, it always feels like he, he gets in on the big moment goals too. Yep. 
Uh, not I think just he's, a mysterious. I think over the past two playoffs, he's yeah. like almost a point per game exactly. Right, right. So uh, he's been he's been good too. Um, and yeah, their goaltending's also been phenomenal. Even though like some of these goal games are like four two or three two or something like that, mm-hmm. but like I, I feel like the goaltending's been a fantastic on both sides um, as well. So um, yeah, I, I I I feel like this is an intense series um and also i do want to mention that despite uh what barry trotz said about my boy patrice bergeron i i actually i i found myself actually rooting for the islanders so i i'm i'm a part of fort never lose um which i still hate but um but i am rooting for them i i think i've i've i'm now in the acceptance part of my (laughs) five levels of grief um, but well, yeah. if they face the Habs in the finals, then you have no choice. I, yeah, that, that, that was part lose. of it because I started to realize, like, okay, if it's the Islanders and Habs, that'll you gotta. <laughs> I have to root for the Islanders. I don't really like the Lightning, but I I do have no choice. If I think I would rather have the Islanders than the uh, Lightning if it's up against the Habs. But even though I feel like the Lightning have a better chance of beating the Habs. Um, but I, I, I also don't love rooting for the favorites. Um, so I am rooting for the Islanders. Um, so you, you, you heard it here first. Um, do you have anything else on the series before we end the show? I think regardless of who wins game five, I think it's still going to go seven games. Um, I still think Tampa's going to win, but again, wouldn't be surprised if, if the Islanders pull it off. It's going to be a seesaw battle right to the end, and it's going to come down to the final seconds of regulation, or it'll be game seven overtime, double overtime, triple overtime, yeah. however long it takes. Um, it, it, it's going to come down to one misplay or, or one turnover or one fantastic interception and individual chance. It, it, it's going to be that type of game where you think somebody's won the series and then they haven't, and it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. And it's 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 one of those series that you that that you just live for. You 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 hope it never ends, and you just want to enjoy every single second of it. Uh, and it, it, it it's kind of funny that we're talking about the New York Islanders in in, in that category, but. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I definitely expect this series to still go seven games. So I'll, I'll be surprised if it ends in six. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I feel like both of these series could go to seven because um, they've been kind of close. So we'll see. Um, all right. So that's about it. Uh, happy Father's Day for everyone. Uh, I, I know this is out on Monday, but happy Father's happy Day. Belated Father's yeah, Day. Happy belated Father's Day. Today is also the first day of summer, so summer True. is here. Yeah. Wait, no, I, I, oh, right, because this is going to be out tomorrow, the 21st. Yeah. You're right, good yeah, point. Already, already summer. You're thinking ahead. I like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, and we were going to talk about the Selkie and the Jack Adams that were announced, but we're going to wait till mm-hmm. all the major awards were announced. Yeah. Well, we, we, we need an appropriate uh, Bergeron rant, uh, <laughs> rant segment yeah. for, for Brett. You can be, you can be prepared. Uh, because yeah. he, he was done wrong by again. I, I, I you know. can prepare. I mean, yeah, well, I don't want to... got wanna, a full week to prepare. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to make it seem like uh, 
I, I guess I got a little bit of Homer from our uh, Homerist with my uh, emails to you, but um, but I, I think you also agreed with me too. So, but that's something yeah, you guys can look forward there, to. There, there are some people. Let's just say I don't know who those people are, but there are some people that didn't even vote for Bergeron yeah. in their top three. Those and are the I'll people never... I'm. That's that's the people I'm more yeah. annoyed by. Than, I, we'll, I will we'll never that. understand that. Yep. Um, Anyways, um, so uh, so you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, um, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcast. Um, so please follow us there, subscribe to us, um, and you can. Uh, our social media is uh, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast, where we we spend most of our time there, um, and we just like update you on of what's going on in the hockey world um it's usually just steve retweeting things um <laughs> yeah. and and then we also have our facebook which is lace them up um that's about it i'm brett dubuff i'm steve ellsworth we'll talk again in episode 275 with nhl award reaction on the lace them up podcast